Welcome to Feather and Mountain Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. I am your host, Delusions of Grendel, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Graham Confusion. Graham, how you doing? I'm doing really good, and I'm hoping this week I don't get called out for other things, because I missed the best part of the conversation last week, although Peregrine did a great job, you and he, so... People who listen didn't miss anything. (laughs) Probably untrue, but yes, we have no other obligations this evening. My mother, the wonderful wife of Graham, is currently watching Virgin River in the next room, so I think it's safe to say that neither of us are dying to scamper in there. For sure, and please don't judge. This is not a Virgin River podcast. This is not a Virgin River podcast. For clarity. I am a Virgin, Virgin River podcast watcher, reader, viewer, whatever. All of the things. Truly a virgin river. This is a podcast, uh, usually about the Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime, reviewing all of those uh, wonderful episodes, getting hyped about season two and the upcoming Comic-Con panel at New York City this Friday, starting at 4.15 p.m. Eastern until 5.15 p.m. Eastern with the guy who plays Perrin, Marcus Rutherford, new cast member Donald Finn, who is playing Matt Cawthon, replacing Barney Harris, Kira Coveney, who is going to be playing Elaine Trakand, Trakand, I don't know how they're going to say it in the show. And I believe Madeline Madden, along mm. with Rafe Judkins and Daniel Henney, who plays Alan Mandragoran. So that is exciting. It's going to be free to watch. So we will be watching the New York Comic-Con panel this Friday, October 7th, and probably putting out a review or at least initial thoughts and impressions sometime this weekend. So we're going to go off our Thursday recording a bit just to kind of give a live reaction to whatever news they drop, and hopefully it's something because we have been starved for Wheel of Time news. There, there's a great person, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the character's name on Twitter, and every day they go on and say, this is day number blah 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 of me looking for some hint of when season two of Wheel of Time will be released. It was day 217 today. Anyway, it's I, I like that tweet every day because it's, it's fun, and uh, the fine person is uh, obviously frustrated because there's no no sense of uh, direction for them but uh. i want to say it's default rand but let me just double check yes <laughs> it is default rand on twitter uh if you don't follow default rand please start following default rand currently fa 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 faldara <laughs> um but that is not why we're here tonight. i do like your tweets i just say <laughs> uh that is why not why we, we are here today Today we are talking about The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power on Amazon Prime while we wait for season two of Wheel of Time to drop. I, as you should probably know by now, am a Tolkien, never reader. I don't know much about the lore. I do know some things about fantasy and I'm just an enthusiast, I guess, of Middle Earth. You love the movies. (laughs) Hating Tolkien's written word. 
Um, Graham has been reading Tolkien for, what, 50-plus years at this point? Almost 50 years. Almost 50 years. I'm not that old, and I, unlike my offspring, I didn't start reading when I was in grade 3. I did wait till I was in, like, grade 7 or 8 before I went down the Tolkien path. But, uh, yeah, yeah 40, 47, 48 years of uh, Tolkien in my blood. Uh, and many reads. Um, I, I don't... I have not read all 10 volumes of the Christopher Tolkien published things. I did read Unfinished Tales. And if you actually say you've read Unfinished Tales, kudos to you. That is pretty unreadable. They are the, unfinished. The next nine are worse. I, I actually picked up <laughs> Unfinished Tales Volume 2 and flipped through it in the store and went, no, not today. I do have a couple of other ones which I've uh, worked, worked through. They're good encyclopedias, though. But if you can find the references you need, it's, it's a lot of... Filtering. They're great for scholars and people who are to- Tolkien uh, aficionados. I'm not. I'm just a really passionate fan, and I, I think what Tolkien created is absolutely incredible for a linguistics professor. But that's me. Yeah. So a couple different perspectives coming in. Uh, this week we are discussing episode six of The Rings of Power, which is titled Udun. And of course, I didn't know what that meant, so I had to look it up. Oh. Mm-hmm. What is Udin? I don't know. I googled. Yes. Uh, it is a wide, depressed valley in the northwest of Mordor. The genesis of Udin, Udan, Udan, whatever you want to call it, is linked to the formation of Mount Doom. Oh. oh. I get it now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode, our pal Wayne Yip left us. Yes. So he has directed three episodes. Charlotte Brandstrom is going to take us home with Rings of Power. She is directing the next, uh, the final three episodes. Oh, yeah. that's that's interesting. Her style was very interesting. She's. We did do a little read, read up on uh, Ms. Charlotte. Uh, she does a lot of TV stuff. No movies, but I got to say for... Uh, I guess it's not maybe her biggest special effects thing because she did do some Witcher. Yeah. Really impress, uh, impressive use of um, obviously green screen ac- activities as well as uh, as well as some live action. And having peeked at a couple of interesting trailers that are making the rounds out there on sh- episode seven and eight, man, she um, she's got some really clever special effects coming up. So welcome aboard, Charlotte, and keep doing a great job. Yeah, and she speaks. <laughs> French, Swedish, and English. Born in France. Uh, studied raised in the in US. Sweden. And we're raised in Sweden. So I'm sure that is also an asset to have on a diverse set. Indeed. Like the Rings of Power has. So before we kind of get into the three and a half plot lines that we follow in this episode. Um, yes, Isildur gets a half yes. a half point. He is sort of important down the road. Down so the road. He's getting there. He's growing on me. There's mm. some great scenes with him and Elendil. Elendil? Elendil. Elendil, whatever. Great scenes with them. We'll get into that in the overall debrief. What was your impression of Udon? Big thoughts. Big picture. Um, I was surprised. I guess I should have looked up what is Udin uh, mm. before we watched the show. Then I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, if you recall in our last episode, Peregrine said, well, obviously the creation of Mount Doom is going to be part of this season. And that's 
what's going to come because Adar is doing, and you know, and in the trailers we saw images of Galadriel, etc. Who knew it was going to be in episode six? A lot of things were answered because of that. Obviously, we focused just on one plot line. It moved very quickly. There was a lot of action. Not the gruesome fighting of Helm's Deep as Peregrine thought might happen, which I guess based on what he, he was afraid of, that's a good thing. I would also say uh, continued good character development. I, I loved the little uh, conversation Theo had with um, a deer about the, the, the loss he has because he doesn't have power anymore he, when he didn't have the uh, scepter or the, the, the sword hilt. Uh, he couldn't put it in his arm. But uh, very, very good. You saw... You saw the evilness about Adar. We learned what Adar was. And, you know, you saw the strength of Bronwyn. Uh, the only other thing I would say, and my first reaction when I saw the kiss of Arondir and Bronwyn was, oh crap, one of them is going to die. Because that's a relationship that can't last. Because that would break. That would break the canon. So I'm sure there's lots of dalliances in the human elf world. But I believe Arondir will not make it past season one. You are, that's my belief. Because Bronwyn had her chance of dying, she lived. I have other thoughts based on what happens with the seeds, but we'll get into that when we kind of dive Lentils. into the... Very cool. Yes. That was a great opening, by the way. That, I didn't know it was happening the first time I watched it, yes. but then obviously five minutes later when Bronwyn and, and Arondir are speaking and he talks about the lentils and planting on that. Man, oh man, that was awesome. That was awesome. Um... Yeah, so I guess before we dive into the episode, why don't we just kind of do a little catch up on our weeks? We are once again together in the same space. It may be a little echoey. We are in the. I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> we are in the den of the Canmore condo. We are in the mountains, living the Misty Mountain dream. Trying to keep Virgin River out. Yes. Um, I actually had a stout beer earlier this ah, evening called yes. Mist Mountain. Excellent. I so. had uh, Sulphur Mountain, which is in Banff, uh, which we were mountain. close to. The, yes. real, the real mountain, yes. So, you know, getting in the mountain theme of it all. Very much with the mountains. Doing some hikes, seeing some larches, <laughs> frolicking, <laughs> truly. Beautiful October day out in Alberta. Uh, beautiful blue skies, picturesque. If you haven't been, let me tell you, you should go. Travel Alberta. Okay, so let us then talk about a place where maybe it was not so filled with blue skies and happy mountains, but rather sad and distressed mountains and soon gray ash. Mm. This episode, Mm. it's a little bit tricky to break it down into plot points because we're all gearing towards the same target, but I kind of broke it down by talking about Adar as his own little yep. thing. We definitely saw his progress this this episode. Yes. Galadriel and Isildur. And then they kind of branch off towards the end. And we get a little bit more Galadriel time and also some cute one-on-one moments. Mostly with Isildur and his horse. But occasionally his father is also there. <laughs> The whole Barrack arc is new and a fun little thing they threw in. I don't know if that was the actor's idea or the writers always thought of it, but it's it's cute. I mean, it's no build a pony, but I <laughs> I suppose I'll take it. Uh, and then of course we have Arondir. Um, so let's start with Adar, just because he opens the episode, and then the impact of what he has done with the key closes the episode. 
Even though yes. we end with Galadriel, of course, being engulfed in flames. So again, another episode where we open and close at different points, focusing on different characters. Maybe we're gone. We've moved away from opening and closing with the same character. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that important to begin with. We'll but it see. was done. But it was done. So Adar, uh, we open the episode with him planting those seeds. Yes. And we hear him say in Quenya, new life. And so we don't really understand what's happening because the episode opens with his hands in the dirt. Love the um, the armored hand. Uh, don't, we don't know why his one hand is armored. It almost has that Darth Vader look to it where he's part machine, part elf. But yeah, with his clawed uh, armored hand, he scrapes the ground, digs an opening and throws a, a few seeds in there, planting what we learn later, uh, the lentils, uh, doing his elf ritual before battle, which we find out later. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely had a, a good, um, it, it, there was a Sauron look to him. Just if you, like, if you think about the, the armor that Sauron had in the scenes from the Lord of the Rings movies, it had that kind of look to it. And uh, he was obviously getting ready for battle. Then he tries to rally the troops. Come on, you guys, you Uruks. We're going to go get a home for ourselves. It's time to go. Let's kick these bums out. Yeah. We have That's endured. It. We have we endured. We have endured. <laughs> and now it's our time to rise. No longer slaves. We have endured. And today is the day. And then they all start chanting Nampat, which means death in the black tongue. So it is not the cool... Calvin Harris club beat. I thought it was going to be, be no. kind of hard to just. We're going to kill death. these. We're going to kill these guys, and it's going to be it's going to be bloody. Now it didn't always go well with them because our buddy Arondir did a great little Oof. setup. They knew they were coming. Obviously, the tower did fall the as anticipated fall. by that very long and prolonged eye gaze by Arondir and Bronwyn when they looked up at the tower. Yes. Yes, and then it, not only did it crumble, it took uh, a, a, an orc when the, um, sorry, an uruk, when the uh, the holding, the, the the frame holding the tower jumped off, one of the things stabs an orc and impales him on the ground. And then, of course, as the rocks tumble, Bazaar, I believe is the yes. uruk's name, <laughs> who had a big opening scene. He is now no longer part of Rings of Power. He he got tr- he got pummeled pretty good. R.I.P. Bizarre. And so they they lost a lot of their uruk in doing that, and then they pulled a real fast one. And I got to tell you, the first time I watched it, I I didn't understand why there was red blood when Aaron Deer went to that body, and he was so thing. And then Bronwyn starts to shake, and then of course they pull the masks off, and it was the fifty percent of their people who went to go with Adar for their savior, obviously. Not a good guy. So you definitely see the evilness of this black elf and the uh, the darkness that surrounds the Uruk uh, because they'll do whatever it takes to win. In the end, uh, it didn't go very well for them, but that's because the Numenorians came in to save the day. Just as actually we all predicted this was going to happen. Everything would come in. The siege would start. The Numenorians would come in later trample things over but we'll get to the la- the last laugh which goes to Adar this episode later on it does yeah and I was definitely thinking all of this would happen in episode 9 so now with Adar I mean we saw the barn where he was being at. did we see him escape no because no, he we didn't saw escape. the barn where he was with Galadriel where she had him tied up and was kind of interrogating him when we get to know about his history which we'll touch on uh, just in a few minutes here he wasn't t- i didn't see him tied up there when the mount when mount doom exploded yeah we didn't see him leave though 
No, we didn't. Definitely didn't but see him But I didn't him see him there, and we didn't see him leave, so I'm thinking he's still around. I don't think he's gone yet. Uh, I love the fact that he claims that he killed Sauron, but of course Galadriel said, no. You are these black elf. You are not a leader. You are a follower. You have somebody above you. Tell me who it is. And she got a little nasty through that. But you definitely started to learn a little bit about um, Adar. And by the way, everything he said and did was not necessarily wrong. One of the, the phrases that they brought out basically was when he was talking to Galadriel, who are you to say that we don't deserve a home? Who are you to say that we don't have a, a place where we can call home and uh, that we can live? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but it's true. Uh, just because you think you're good doesn't mean that you have the right to say who lives and who dies. And we breathe the same air. We breathe the same air. It was a great little uh, a great little segment just to remind you that there's a perspective from their side too. And I'm wondering if we'll see more of that perspective in the next couple of episodes or even going forwards in the Rings of Power. Not that you want to like them because you don't. But at the other hand, you you got to respect what he's trying to do to some level. Uh, he doesn't so much care for mankind or... Uh, other type of living things that aren't Uruk. But that's his perspective. But is it any different than the people who want to kill the Uruk because they're Uruk? Yeah, a great point. I mean, he refers to the Uruk as his children. He always says his children. In fact, he killed Sauron because Sauron was trying to twist his children up in the far north where Galadriel had been and where we saw the table and the orc's bodies. So allegedly, that is why Adar killed his master, because Sauron wouldn't stop killing the Uruk. So there is some, I'll call it nobility, I think, to Adar. I think there's maybe that's the elvish part that's still within him, because he is an elf that has been twisted by the shadow or by the dark. So he is not quite half-orc, I wouldn't say, but he certainly has tendencies and, and has been corrupted kind of against his will. But you can see that even with the planting of the lentils, Obviously, he still has some aspect of being uh, an elf in him. So he's still practicing some of the elvish ways while at the same time, obviously, not holding true to the elvish belief. They don't typically get involved in those things unless they're there to protect somebody. He's attacking. He's attacking to claim something back. That is not the elven way in Middle-earth. Yeah, he's definitely twisted. Morgoth is the dude who twisted him, so he's Mm -hmm. been that way for a long time. Yes, quite a long time. And we, I mean... it was nice to have that moment between him and Galadriel talking about his children. And we, because he is called father. Yes. That's what Adar means, right? Father. And we actually see a little bit of that protective fatherly instinct, I think. Everything that he thinks he's doing, it's for his children. He's trying to provide, you know, roof, shelter, yeah. play, activities. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> digging it into his pocket for the extracurriculars. Yes. But he obviously had a bigger plan in mind. It didn't get unfolded. Uh, I love the little play they did. And you knew it was going to be important. As soon as he walks into uh, the town, uh, with the tower, Ostereth, he he finds the statue, the monument to the, to the sword. Mm-hmm. And you, can, you knew it was going to play something, but you didn't know exactly what. I certainly didn't expect the water scenes that happened, but you knew it was going to be important. And I actually thought something would happen that episode. Uh, he, he also showed some uh, how, how sly he can be because uh, he knew that he'd get caught. I mean, Galadriel, after all. He'd, all the elves know who Galadriel is. Uh, so he knew that he'd get caught. Um, but uh, he told Waldrag as soon as he saw the invaders, Waldrag, I like basically I need you to do me a favor. 
Yep. I think it was, Waldreg, I have a task for you. And we never saw, we didn't know how much time there was. We didn't, before, you know, the Numenorean stormed in, we didn't see what that task was. All we saw was Adar later taking off mm. with the, what we thought was the wrapped key. And, and speaking of uh, Waldreg briefly, I guess we found out that Rowan was indeed killed because Waldrig was not, but they didn't show it on camera. That's fine. Uh, and there was no sign of Rowan at all uh, through that entire episode. Uh, I mean... Did not see Rowan and Waldrig came marching in side by side Adar's with Adar's right hand. Yep. So. so Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know why he needs a human to be that. Maybe just to get the complicits complacency or the compliance with the with people so it looks like they're part of the team to save it but then of course he sacrifices those that came over other than waldrig and maybe a couple of others to uh, during the battle mm-hmm. so. so adar's plot line really heavily overlaps with arondir's we get the battle from the two perspectives we get it from the invading orcs which i thought was interesting um i don't know if we actually got that in the lord of the rings movies uh, no nope. trilogy. I don't know if we spent that much time. When Sam and Frodo are in Mordor and they're trying to make their way to Mount Doom, they they get into an encampment with the orcs. And yes. uh, in the movie, they touch that, but in the books, it expands a little bit, and you can hear the conversation that the orcs are having, and they're not happy with what they're doing, but they know if they don't do it, they'll get beaten and and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they also talk about other things that are going on. But that's probably as close as you get to finding out the Horks. Maybe in the tower when uh, Sam's rescuing uh, Frodo later on. that He can overhear the, the Orcs talking and they talk a little bit about the shiny the shiny mithril coat and a few other things. You, you get a bit of a, a flavor for what they're about. But nothing, nothing really gives you an insight. So if you go back to what you said about um, Adar and he says, we have suffered too long. Wow, we don't know. We, we really don't know. Have they been kind of being pushed down? Probably. I mean, he talks about them as being slaves. Like that's part of his thing. Like his children were slaves without free And Galadriel will. didn't agree with him. She thinks they still are slaves. Uh, that was her point in that. Yes. So. And by the way, in the Arondir thing, uh, you can definitely see the difference between I'll use the term high elf, because but she's not a high elf yet, but between Galadriel and Galadriel's knowledge and Arandir, who's basically a soldier at this point, he was not aware of, is it Morodin? The, the black elves that uh, Mordegoth uh, drew? Mori... Oh, hold on, I have it right I know you, wrote, you actually um, wrote it down. The Moriander. Moriander. He kept on asking Adar... Uh, who are you? What are you? I don't understand. And Galadriel knew exactly what he was and and pegged him for it. So she uh, she just has more depth in the lore and the knowledge. She's probably a bit older. Than I think Arondir. she's significantly older than Arondir. <laughs> um, also, she's. I think Arondir only speaks Quenya. Maybe I'm mistaken in that. I don't. But then him and Adar had the conversation about the river that's in. His whole area. So maybe I'm mistaken. Um, I don't think he's that old because, I mean, he talked about 200 years to get to a, a, a pace of bravery in the last exactly. episode. So he may be a thousand years old. A child. <laughs> and he's been watching for a few hundred years, I think, uh, that town before all this stuff happened. Yeah. So. Uh, but it was it was I thought it was a good contrast just to show you the depth and the, uh, the importance of Galadriel, just that she knew right away what he is. She called him on it. 
and she was doing it. But but you did see a lot of great stuff with Thorondir this team. Obviously, he's a clever oh fighter. Uh, the whole pulling down of the tower and how he orchestrated all of that single-handedly for the most part. And then uh, teaching the uh, the townspeople how to fight back. Fight back a little dirty, but if they're saving their town, how they can uh, you know fight against the Uruk with as few casualties as possible for them. Yeah, I think when the tower fell, it was a Rondir and a few uh, bowsmen. Right. A couple archers and a Rondir, and the archers went down. Because, of course, the Uruk also have archers. Uh, but I think, yeah, basically it was like him and a handful, certainly less than a dozen stayed behind to make sure that the tower fell and that there were casualties, allowing the villagers to have fled from the protection of the tower and go back to the village while the Uruk were marching up to the tower to so do a little switcheroo. We really saw some great fighting from a Rondir this episode. Oh, yeah. Truly phenomenal. Although he, he had a hard time with that big, uh, the big orc. The big guy. Needed Bronwyn to come in, <clears throat> do, do a little, a little stab, stab from stab. behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that guy was a big guy and he was pretty tired by then. We'll, we'll give him that. I'll give him. Yeah. And yeah, let's talk about these Alfred seeds. So that's what I they... call lentils. Yeah, yeah. Alfred seeds. Yeah. <laughs> so the Alfred seeds... Uh, we get the exposition later in the episode. I really liked the way they did that because we see a Rondir with Bronwyn. You know, you, pa- you plant two before the battle. And then he turns to Bronwyn and says, and the rest will plant in our new garden, me, you, and Theo. And of course, as any lover of fantasy or just star-crossed lovers yeah. know, that means that new garden is never going to happen. There was a moment. They both got really excited about what was going to come at the end of the battle. They kissed. It was lovely. Those Alfred seeds, though, were then later used not to plant the new garden, but to seal Bronwyn's arrow injury, wound. Injury, yes. Um, so that's why I don't necessarily think Arondir dies. I think because Ismail Cruz, who plays him, has been... If you're not following him on Twitter, follow him. Oh, I follow like, him. He's just, yes, he's great. He is so passionate about this fandom and because of the Tolkieners who are just up in arms over the idea of a black elf, I really don't see the show writing him off in large part because of that. I mean, they've they've really shaped a lot of the narrative around him just being a badass and being like a foot soldier of an elf and I think have captivated a lot of people along the way. Like, I'm very invested in Narondir's journey. I think a lot of people are. So I am thinking that with the Alfred seeds being sealed in Bronwyn, that it's basically just, that's where the garden will grow. It's kind of a thing of dreams. It's going to be forever in my heart, but always a part. They are not. Okay. I can go with that. If they do it that this. way, I, I can certainly go with that. They just, they just can't let them get together. No, and I don't think they will. <laughs> I, I think that was pretty clear just in in the ceiling of it like this this dream of ours will never come to fruition i did do a tweet this week that got a bit of um, playback and people generally like i do find these writers are actually very respectful of tolkien's lore and they really are enhancing his story they follow his guidance they they and they don't try to break it so um, I, I think they've done an excellent job of laying new plots and creating new characters, but everything still flows within the rules that Tolkien would have put out, things that are, are pretty uh, pretty imperative. So I think the writing in the show is brilliant. I, I just think they've done an excellent job, and they have done their homework. They know where they're going. Obviously, we're just learning episode by episode, but... Man, uh, there was a little clip that was cute that I saw. I haven't listened to it all. Uh, it was put out today. I think they were on a Vanity Fair inter- inter- interview, most of the cast. 
and um, including Morphe Clark, who of course is Galadriel. And uh, she turns, I believe, to the actress that plays your um, Queen Mean and says, Oh, this is really good, but man, I can't wait for them to show 7 and 8 because holy cow, what's going to happen? So the next couple of episodes are going to be huge. The actors are all excited. Just can't wait for people to see. And they've already started filming season two, as we know. Although in the UK, not in, not in uh, New Zealand, maybe there was other issues with that. Maybe the places just weren't available. I expect say? they'll go back. But anyway, we'll, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was an official release that came out about the filming in the UK or if they've just been spotted there. TBD, we'll let you know when we know. So with Iran, dear, we have the ceiling of... The Bron- hole in uh, Bronwyn's heart. Yes, and then we have also some... A couple of great scenes between Arondir and Theo. Yeah, very much. Where you're starting to see that, like, Arondir maybe doesn't necessarily see Theo as a son, but certainly sees, holds him in a higher regard than many other humans. He definitely sees him as family, for sure. Uh, When I was watching it with my uh, beloved bride, and she's going, like, why why is he giving, first of all, why did Theo follow uh, Arondir to find out where uh, where the sword hilt was buried? And how, how did Arondir not know? And then I think you actually said, I think Arondir has a soft spot for Theo. And he, he probably knew he was there. I think he did know he was there. And that Theo would have known where he put it. But he's not going to chastise him for it because he treats him like a son. So uh, not too surprising. But of course, Theo's revelation that the power, which is very much in line with what the rings do... They they hold a power that's hard to resist. They corrupt the mind. They all power is is a corrupting influence. He started to feel it. It was a great way that they revealed, in my opinion, how it was an axe in the wrapping, not the hilt, because he put it by his arm. Nothing happened. He's like, "What the heck?" And then he had to open it up and realized it was a hatchet, not a uh, not a hilt, not, and, not the key. Yeah. And uh, that's when that's when you knew trouble was a brewing. Yes. And that is, I mean, that moment between Arondir and Theo. And again, I think yeah. it just kind of speaks to the positivity of this show is that there's still, even though we know how dark it it gets, it is nice to see that they're still trying to focus on some of the positive emotions that is being a human. You know, Arondir, when he hands the package to Theo, Theo saying how he felt both guilt and loss. Right. He says, when it was in my hands... I felt powerful. And Arondir says, great. Gives him the package, trusts him to resist this power, and says, give it to Numenor. So that was Arondir just handing that over. And I thought that was a really really powerful moment of trust and like confidence in who Theo is going to be. He believes that Theo would do the right thing and would hand it over. Of course, he would also know if Theo doesn't where it is and he can go after it. But uh, still, that was a nice sign of uh, faith and respect for Theo. So I agree with you. Yeah. And the Arondir, Bronwyn, Theo set kind of closes this episode with Theo and Bronwyn together as the fire is kind of raining down. Oh, the lava, the lava rocks. Yes. And just screaming for Theo. So they don't know where he is. Maybe we'll like I'm we'll, we'll definitely well I actually don't want to say definitely anymore because yeah, I have right? been wrong Things too happen. long or too often. But we see Bronwyn and Arondir holding each other, calling for Theo. We don't see Theo after he basically opens the hatchet. Uh, so TBD on Theo's fate, and it could be a very big reason why 
Bronwyn and Ron Deer don't get together, although I don't think that's it. I actually think Ron Deer is going to find his place at Galadriel's side. Um, He'll get his elven calling and have to go. Yes, I think so too. He certainly had a huge respect for her in that little scene where she was riding through and dipsy doodling on the horse and somebody said, or Theo was starstruck by Galadriel and who is that? That is Galadriel. Leader of the armies of the north. Yeah, Obviously so much a commander of the, of the armies. armies. A huge respect from Arondir, but also just gobsmacked, awestruck Theo, kind of looking on going, holy cow, she's really good. She's good. I mean, well, speaking of that, because we can't, you know, everything's kind of culminating. Mm-hmm. We'll do big, Everything big was overlapping, right? Like Everything very did. much. Like these, the plots moved very quickly and kind of in tandem with the shifting of perspectives happening very quickly throughout the episode. With Galadriel, I mean, one of the first things we see from her is her and Isildur on the boat having a a talk, and that's the first moment that she realizes... He's Ellen Dill's son. son. Yes. Uh, and she indicates that you have, you know, something of the look of your father. And he said, funny, everyone always told me I looked like my mom. We find out that uh, Isildur's mom drowned. That's a throwaway line after explaining about, you know, wanting to go to sea and the sun rising in the east and sailing towards the dawn and blah, blah, blah. But it looks like the coming of night. Yeah. And he goes, oh, she drowned. And a little toss-away line, but obviously Elendil does not want to share his private life with anybody. Um, and probably that includes his kids, by the way. But we'll find out more on that. But it was a... Uh... I'm thinking she tried to swim. She tried to <laughs> swim to the west, because there's always that calling to the west that we hear about ah. with a seal door. And so she drowned, yes. But probably because she tried to swim to Valeria. Maybe. And like, girl, you're not getting there. Not for you. Dead. We, so we have that moment on the boat with Galadriel, Isildur, Elendil. Elendil, you know, does a little bit of kind exposition for us. Gives us a small glimpse of Queen Supreme, who has a very small part in this episode. But basically, you know, exposition for the audience to say, here's how far away we are from Ostirith. You know, we're still about two or three days away. Right. So this must be the sinking of timelines because genuinely we have had no idea this entire show how far off we are with respect to timelines. We know they had 10 days of prep before the ships were ready. We know that they had at least three more days of of sailing when we caught up with them on the ship. Who knows how many we know when they arrived and when the worlds collided. We have a frantic moment of them stampeding up Again, with no knowledge of how close they are. So it was just like basically glimpses of the horses coming. So we knew that they had landed. We knew they were on their way. We knew it was the same day. But all of that was just building tension. I thought it was pretty well done. It was beautifully done. Again, from the clips, we knew they were going to get there. But like, in what time? Would Bronwyn die? We don't know. Uh, Twitter was in uproar this this episode because uh, the men who became uh, flute experts... After Lizzo played <laughs> a glass flute that's 200 years old. So those those same men who decided to dictate how and when a flute should be played uh, also decided to weigh in on horsemanship and uh-huh. how unrealistic it is for Galadriel to be able to ride a horse while sideways. Not not at all. No comments about Legolas. Elf. No comments about Legolas. 
swinging himself up onto uh, oh, the elephant, the olifant. The olifant, yes. No comments about any other. Uh, like Legolas also did a side to side on a horse mm-hmm. to uh, jump around things. Yeah, so... but that's that's believable. But the commander of the Northern Armies to ride sideways in her saddle to dodge an arrow. Yeah. Belief is suspended. I've stopped following those trolls. They just—they're just dumb. They're just trying to find things. She's a brilliant horseman. And by the way, so when she's chasing Adar, did you catch when she reaches over and she whispers in the horse's ear, "Noralim, Noralim"? Yes. Who else said that? Arwen. Arwen. So there's that elven talking Naralim. to the Noralim. Yeah, it was I didn't awesome. catch her horse's name though. So I did not. I uh, ain't no shadow facts, but I did not. Maybe it is shadow facts. It was white. It was white. We have some another great Isildur and Elendil moment where uh, this is after, you know, they get to the village, things are calmed down. Isildur is talking to Barak and Barak appears to be in pain, isn't letting him help him. Elendil comes over, speaks in Sindarin this time, which is the old elvish yeah. tongue to the horse. Speaks in Sindarin to that to Barak to calm him down. Then tells Isildur that Barak is in pain because of what Isildur is feeling and going through, and that the horse who rides into battle, like with a first time, yeah, that was very reminiscent of Aragorn, his great 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 grandson, whatever number of greats that is, talking to the horse when, of course, he falls and. Tries to make his way to the Rohan area, but... Um... So clearly in the <laughs> genetics, but very interesting that Elendil said, again, a second mention of mom. Yep. Elendil yep. tells Isildur that your mom taught me how to speak to horses like this. And then Isildur says, can you teach me? So maybe mom didn't drown, by the way. Maybe mom made it. And to him, she's dead, but he knows she's gone to the west with the elven calling, but... Uh... But for him, he can just write it off saying she's drowned because he's never going to get there. Yeah. She chose not to be mortal. Which would be heartbreaking. But that's maybe why he's looking at where they're going. Sailing into the east is the coming of night because he's leaving dreams of sailing into the west behind. Could be. Who's to say? We have the other Assaulter and Elendil moment um, that I loved when they were stampeding into the village is when Elendil gets ripped off his horse mm-hmm. by badass orc. And we like, just hear, actually, there's like eight of them. Yeah. Like, we, we get to see a little bit of his prowess, not as much because we were obviously focused on Arondir and Galadriel as being supreme beings. Um, but we see a sealed door rocketing through with Beric, jumping over bodies, trying to get to his dad and just yelling, Father, gets to Elendil's side and just, I thought you were dead. Anyway, I thought they had a really, a mm-hmm. lot of really nice moments this episode. Uh, and those are only going to continue to grow and of course end in heartache for everyone. But very, very nice moments that we may not have seen in any of the earlier episodes just because Isildur was fucking around being a disappointment. I really enjoyed him this episode and I'm starting... He's definitely better in the field and obviously the Queen recognized it and so did um, Galadriel because well, the Queen sent him in, right? And uh, Galadriel, certainly when she was talking to him, she told him to be at ease, finding out a little bit about him. She respected the fact that he came up to, to have a look at land. So there is something about him in battle that the, uh, the leaders are seeing as okay. Really. Yeah, so we... Uh... From there, that's kind of where I guess the we've now started talking about a sealed door, but that's the divergence between his plot and Galadriel, because of course Galadriel's plot is a lot of badassery, leading <laughs> the armies, riding sideways in her saddle, dodging arrows, commanding a couple of times, no a less. A couple of like she's amazing. Once 
you know, the village is calm, quiet. We realize the key is gone because Arondir tells her and all he says to her is he can't get away. We see Adar jumping on the horse, starting to ride the great chase down, Halbrand showing up. That was interesting. He saw the start of it and how he got around the outside because there's no way he could have been riding as fast as Mm-mm. Adar and uh, Galadriel. He just, he just can't. I'll um, just say Pythagorean's theorem and we'll go with that. So he must have made a guess as to where they were going, mm-hmm. but it was... Uh, Obviously, he did the little reaching down way low on his horse like a polo guy uh, while somehow doing that, holding a spear to trip a horse without breaking his arm. Of course, that's okay because he's a guy, but going side to side to dodge things because, of course, elves see things at a slower pace than we do. So she has the time to dodge. Anyway, trolls. Speaking of broken limbs, though, I was (laughs) very happy that that horse got up and was unhurt. I knew that would happen. That is, that's a lot of pain to go through so no broken legs horse survives huzzah and then we get the great moment between Hallbrand and Adar where Hallbrand stabs him through the hand and asks him do you remember me and this is why okay so we all know that I was Hallbrand to Sauron from like episode two then I fell off the train because he was very hot and He seemed repentant and he seemed like he was, I don't know, riddled with guilt and I bought into the humanity of him. Now, after this episode, the whole internet is on this idea that Halbrand is Sauron. And I'm like, is he Sauron? Is that why he's so pissed that Adar didn't remember him because Adar killed him? And he's like, you shit, you don't recognize (laughs) me, your master? Like, I will kill you this time. So I have seen some threads about why Halbrand is Sauron and like linking his relationship to Galadriel and why Galadriel has always felt that strain and like the evilness and how she can differentiate. Anyway, I don't know. Basically, I have no idea where I'm falling on this. With Halbrand's armor, there's also a lot of indication that he's either the Witch King or the King under the mint, like the King of the Undead guy, because both of them have links. The links of the chainmail look very similar. Halbrand, who are you? This is the mystery of season one, and I don't think it's going to be answered. I think we've got a long way to go with Halbrand before we figure out who he is. Hmm. Okay, so I'm just looking up uh, the character that Sauron first uh, appears by in uh, Anatar. Yes. So... But we don't have Anatar because that's only mentioned in the Silmarillion, uh, not the appendices, as Peregrine pointed out to us today in a text chat. So Anatar will not be mentioned by name. Well, he could be Meron. He could be... He had many names. But yes. There are several names that Sauron first went by. Do we know that Halbrand's real name is Halbrand? No. But he is a king of humans, and that's too high a profile. When Sauron gains the trust of the elves and the dwarves and the people, it's not like he's a people and he's doing it. So I still don't think he fits into the Sauron mold. I think he, maybe as as Peregrine said, he migrates to the north and he becomes the witch king, which, uh, which is the <coughs> witch king of Agnon. Or maybe he's the king under the mountain, but I think it'd be a real stretch for him to uh, to uh, be Sauron still. I, so I'm not buying into that thread. I find the internet tends to like, oh, look, it all fits together now, uh, until it doesn't. Yes. Yes. But that's so, what, it's it's fun. Like, mm, who is this? The memes. Where I've is seen, he? He's Sauron. She's Sauron. Horse Sauron. It's Barak. It's the horse. It's the horse. Yes. So I don't know that we'll see Sauron, although the T 
teaser trailer that I saw, although I think it was a fan teaser trailer that was put together, kind of implies that we get to meet Sauron in um, episode eight. It would be cool if you do. It would be fun, but honestly, I'm enjoying so much of this suspenseful buildup mm-hmm. because we already know how Sauron's story plays out, that like not knowing is really the fun of it. Or at least that's what I'm enjoying the most, is like this rampant speculation, throwing out mad guesses. Now, I don't know, maybe it is Beric. <laughs> One line that I really loved from this episode is uh, just so just continuing on from Halbrand with the spear over Adar's throat and Galadriel stops him like, I need him alive. I need to question him. She turns to Halbrand and says, one cannot satisfy thirst by like drinking, drinking seawater. Sea what a great line. Great line. Just like, beautiful. Oh, I am going to try to incorporate that as much as I can into my daily life. Like, <laughs> that, that might actually be the rose in the episode when she said that oof. to me. It was like, Woo, there's a good line. There's a good one. That's a keeper. Yes. And then after the Hullbrand, or after Galadriel intervenes with Hullbrand, we get, I thought it was a fun cinematic shot of Galadriel uh, looking down on Adar in this old barn or whatever it is in the town. And even like this, like the view that we get is kind of skewed with the same angle. Like yes. we are Galadriel looking down at Adar. So the lens is tilted a little bit. And we then we have Adar's perspective and the camera is, you know, looking up at Galadriel. So we're very much meant to, the power is here, the questioning. She's talking to Adar. We learn about the Moriander, who are the, we've touched on this, but the the sons of the dark. Then from Adar, we hear the perspective of the shadow, the dark, the bad guys. Adar says that Sauron devoted himself to healing Middle-earth. I don't know what that means. No, I don't think about it. But it's also Adar who has wants to give the Uruks home. Is Sauron really healing or is he just trying to bend it to his will? It seems to me that Sauron would want things to be bent to his will and that may be from Adar's perspective, uh, the healing, but in an untrusty narrator perspective, that that's just his perspective. Yeah. What it sounded like to me is that Adar wanted to get his own HGTV show all about home renos, orcs edition. Uh, he seems really keen on I'm going to sure. start by planting these seeds. <laughs> and then we'll start our own garden for uh, my Uruks. Of course, there's no sunlight after Mount Doom explodes. So I don't know how they'll grow. Different problem. Different problem. Galadriel then kind of gives into her seawater, I guess. Get, tries to quench her thirst with that. Gets a little she, feisty. Her emotions got the best of her for a minute. They did. And uh, Hullbrand pulled brings her back. back. That's a tip so for tat. Really, so they both did that. They both see the darkness in each other. I really like it. Of course, I'm still shipping them because well, and then of course, and Sauron when she thanks him for that later on, there's that pause, that moment of tension between them. You would have picked it up as sexual tension. Always. I think that was um, Galadriel reading him, just wondering what he's really about. Yeah. So I don't think it was sexual tension from her perspective. I think it was like, I'm trying to figure you out, young man. Yeah. So You get me a little bit, and that's weird. Yeah. Adar did ask Hallbrand, who are you? And Hallbrand did not answer. That's right. So So there's more that play out there. I also noticed like Adar when he was being questioned and I got to tell you like Galadriel questioning was not light. He wasn't phased. He didn't care if he would die. He he 
believed that she wouldn't kill him, I think, because of the Elven Code, etc. But he he's run into her before, but he didn't let on. He knew who she was. He knows about her, you know, chasing Sauron through the north, etc., etc. So he's obviously got a lot of a lot of history there, but wasn't phased. He wasn't thinking that she was going to kill him, and uh, it was going on. Of course, Halbrand saves his life in one regard there. Yeah, but, the so. only thing that got Adar talking was when Galadriel said, maybe we should bring a few of your children into the sunlight. Yes. And that is when he started giving, let's talk. Okay, you so want to his... hear about Sauron? Let me tell you about Sauron. I killed him. I killed him. No, you didn't. Um, and so after Halbrand pulls Galadriel back, they're talking and we see a messenger come up and basically say the queen would like to see you to Halbrand. So he goes, then we flip to Queen Supreme, who unfortunately I was kind of disappointed because I've, I've come to like her quite a bit. She was just at the very beginning on the hill, on the hilltop. She was on the, the ship for a little bit as yeah. they were coming in, but very small scenes. We got glimpses scenes. of her because this wasn't her episode. She's not a warrior. But we, you know, we got a great moment between her and Bronwyn. Where, yes, very you know, good moment. The queen basically just says, like, Muriel, Muriel says to Bronwyn, girl, like, you held this village together. You clearly have leadership <laughs> qualities. People will follow. But hey, if I can lighten your load... I've got this guy here who has a sigil you might be interested in. Are you the king we've been waiting for? Yeah. Are yeah. you the king that was promised? Yeah. Okay. So, like, what prophecy? Where is this promise coming from? And she immediately recognized it from the sigil. Yes. She didn't recognize Halbrand. She didn't know who he was. He was wearing that identifier. So, where was it promised? How long ago was it promised? I'm sure this will unfold in episode seven and eight, and we actually will get a little bit more into, again, why Hallbrand was on that raft, what he did to get himself there, because he, I mean, he's hyped us up. Yep. I think the season will finish with it. We will see the darkness that he has done. At least some of it, and at least an understanding of this sigil, or at least the promise. I don't know. Maybe it's just me that wants the prophecy answered right away. I'm also, like, a fan of of Robert Jordan, so I'm okay to wait, like, until season five for the big reveal, but I would prefer it now, because I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think it would provide a lot of closure to this season. So we we are angling the episode end towards a positive note with the king that was promised. We get cheers from the villagers. Someone hands Hallbrand a beer because you can't cheers with nothing. Exactly. So good on that villager. And then shit hits the fan because we see Waldrag turn the the uh, the sword hilt and that whole contraption start to turn with it and then it clicks into place and water starts flowing and yeah I, when i was watching it the first time you and i weren't able to watch it together the first thing i thought was that's why they built the trenches yeah. and the caves yep. as it started popping up through the homes in the village uh, the water pressure etc etc uh, I, I mean, do I know that water going into a molten pit would cause it to explode? I don't know. Seems pretty good. A lot of steam would be coming up, that's for sure. A lot of steam. So that was a very, a very cool thing and incredibly well done. Like just the, the build up to it. And as soon as it started, I'm like, what, is it going to flood? Are they, are they going to be, is this the Brandywine getting crazy? Like, what are we doing here? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Oh, it's going to Mount Doom. That's not good. Of course, it's not Mount Doom at this time. But uh, I also like the way, uh, if you go back to the th- first three movies, the look of Mount Doom and the ragged top. And this had a very crisp white snow-covered top with a rim below it. 
which obviously was starting to blow apart. But uh, yeah, there, there we have it, Mount Dune. My favorite part of that whole sequence, by the way, was confidence, the bravery of Galadriel standing, knowing what was coming and knowing that she wouldn't die. We know because we've watched the trailer for the next episode and she's obviously the main character. It's go through and, and uh, you know, she's got the mirror of Galadriel in the book. So why did she know that she wouldn't die for that through all that stuff? I don't know, but I don't know elves all the way through, but just her determination and, and her And resolve. also resignation as she finally, she sees it exploding and then just the moment where she closes her eyes and yeah. you can feel that heartbreak when she realizes that even though they've won this battle... They have lost the greater war and just everything that she's been chasing, everything that she's been trying to stop, all of those years that she spent heading north trying to find Sauron, like hundreds and hundreds of years. And all of that is literally blown up in an instant. Fuck, this still happened, even though we made it, even though I got the Numenorians to sail, even though we captured Adar, even though I thought that we had stolen back the key. Every, like she did everything right and they still failed and that crushing and bitter disappointment and you see it when she closes her eyes and then just gets enveloped by the soot and flame yeah it was it was incredible makes you wonder like she obviously was able to survive it and i sure i'm sure some of the town's people were but how many how many will survive it it does tell me that adar would live through it even if he was still stuck on the ground yeah. in that thing if he was chained that he'll be he'll be okay he's got enough elven in him uh a, a deer could be there but I, I know the actress for broadwinds around for a little while just because um of some of those clips that you see as is Theo, by the way. He's yep. in some of those other clips in the season two stuff. So we're going to lose a lot of the uh, the humans. Probably some Numenorians as well as uh, they get swept up. That will be the catastrophe, I think, by the way, for the queen going home that Ferrazon will t- tilt against her. I don't know if that'll happen this season or if that's a season two issue. But uh, Muriel is in trouble because it, it was not a successful campaign, although it was until it wasn't. Yeah. Right. Everything changed in the blink of an eye. Clever, clever. Very Adar. clever. Yeah, I will say one of the most satisfying moments, even though the bad thing happened and Mount Doom exploded, getting an answer to why they were digging trenches <laughs> was so satisfying. Because, of course, I've had my mom in my ear being like, why the fuck are they digging trenches? Yes. Well, now we, and like, it just makes so much sense. And it's also just like that big picture perspective that we often don't give the dark the benefit of the doubt. But quite frankly, if you are trying to control the world, then yeah, there, you need to have a little foresight and vision. And this was like epic planning. This is like architecture digest material. Stunning. So as much as uh, we saw Galadriel's face just the frustration and thing wash over her. the hope and the uh, the light that he realized what was happening when Adar heard the water start to flow and he knew that his plan was being put into place. It was very calm, but, and he was being, you know, grilled and all of a sudden his eyes lit up and he knew that things were going his way. It was a great little uh, directorial aspect with that too. I thought it was Definitely. a nice touch. Yeah, there was a lot more glimpses, quick glimpses in the quick transitions between all of the characters because they're all in one space there was a lot of opportunity to just give immediate reactions and i thought yeah charlotte brandstrom did a great job with that and really really emphasizing like the different perspectives and the different reactions to every event that happened 
one of my favorite moments, and quite honestly, this could be the rose of the episode for me, is at the end, so the ash is coming down. Everyone's reacting differently. Like I said, Rondir and Bronwyn are holding each other, both calling for Theo. We see Elendil. He is calling for a Isildur. Who is a Isildur calling for? Beric. Beric. Beric, of course. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, an old cartoon series and you know, Dudley do ride in his horse, and, and Nell was always infatuated with his horse. So Doug, Dudley was infatuated with Nell. Oh, the horse. Anyway, it was kind of what reminded me of was I mean, an old comedy. As someone whose dog is in the room with them as we record because he can't be parted from me, I just really connected with the Sealder this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about my father. Where is my boy? Beric, where's my horse? And I can't say that I wouldn't be calling for Henry in the same circumstances. So kudos to you, Isildur. (laughs) Maybe that that was the TSN turning point for me (laughs) with the (laughs) getting on Team Isildur. (laughs) That is the episode synopsis, initial reactions, everything in a nutshell. Let's talk first standout moments to you before we break down into like best and worst. Big moments. Big moments. Uh, obviously, Adar planting the seeds right at the beginning was a great moment. The exchange we learn later on is Arondir also planting seeds and that passionate moment with Bronwyn. Standout moment, but does not end well, I don't see. Things that really stuck out to me, the conversation with Isildur and Galadriel on the boat. And then, um, you know, to me, the, the next series of events were good. Uh, obviously, a low point is the, the, the villagers being killed who went with the Adar because he thought was their hero but really was that culmination and that creation of Mount Doom how dramatic was that but how every person's reaction was different and what everybody was trying to do I just thought it was great it was so human there were so many parts in that yeah Isildur looking for Beric uh, Elendil looking for Isildur uh, Galadriel just facing the onslaught uh, Adar getting his revenge we'll see others too it just the look and as it was happening I pointed out to you the look on Queen Miriel's face <laughs> oh my god what's happening it was, it was almost pretty... like Chrissy Teigen's like have you seen that gif yeah. of, or like the cringe face yeah. like oh <laughs> this is this is gonna be this awful. is not good this is not good so there was, I really enjoyed the episode it was great It. I mean in the big picture not a ton happened, but yet a lot happened, which it seems to be a reflection of everything. But yeah, the, the early creation in episode six of Mount Doom, whew, where are we going to end up in the next two episodes? But there's a lot. Of course, we had no dwarves. We had no Elrond. We, no Nori. No no Hobbits, uh, Harfoots, no Starman. So there's still lots of things that have to be brought back together. So the next episodes will be there. Although they, they won't forget about this strain because it's so important, right? So yeah. it's, the next couple episodes are going to be so jam-packed with stuff. It'll be crazy. And I think that's a really good point. It, it harkens me back to what Peregrine said at the beginning of last week's episode, which was, I can't tell if this show is moving too fast or too slow because he said Mount Doom would explode at the end of like the, the final episode. I said Arondir and Galadriel would meet at the last episode. So like this whole battle, this battle of Ostirith, I didn't see happening in episode six, which makes me keep asking like, oh my gosh, what else are they going to fit into this season? Well, they said like when the Tolkien plots start to move, they, they snowball and escalate and so many things happen at once. And that's what we're running into. These 
next two episodes are going to be epic. Huge. Another comment I wanted to make about this week, and I, I made you watch House of the Dragon yes. on Sunday, even though you're not caught up. Tried to do as much background as I could. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but with House of the Dragon and actually just the Game of Thrones critique in general, it's that during battle scenes, everything is too dark. So you can't actually see what's happening. I thought one of the standout moments to me, because I've gotten so accustomed to that, was in Rings of Power, even though the initial battle, well, actually all of the battles take place at night because that's when orcs attack. I thought everything was well lit. We could see what was happening. We could see the emotions on everyone's faces. The moment when Bronwyn is trying to light the match and it's not lighting. (laughs) We see her reaction. We see her figure the plan out. She sees that orc coming and she's like, well, he's got fire. I, I guess I got to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the human emotions and reactions, seeing even the strategy of the orc, seeing the red blood after we had seen, um, oh my gosh, when a Rondir talked oh, about stand out. The purple blood from the eye of the orc dripping right? into that a big orc. So, oh. we've, we've touched on that, but standout moment for sure when that a dagger goes into that orc's eye and it's just dripping the orc blood onto a rondeer and then it's like is that a, a comment millimeter. by the like, is that a comment on orc brains because that dagger went or the, the shiv went Ooh. right into his eye a long way uh and that's the brains right there we'd be paralyzed we'd be flopping around know, but that orc was uh, yeah. i didn't see i was, <laughs> But it was great because, you know, Arondir's just gone from having, like, all of this orc blood dripping into his face to then touching the blood on the ground and, like, the stark contrast and being able to see that in a fantasy show and having it that well lit so that we, the audience, didn't need to up our TV contrast so we could try to make out (laughs) what was happening. What a treat. (laughs) So even in House of the Dragon, for example, episode 7, spoilers, spoilers, Aemond loses an eye when... Jace strikes him with the knife. And and that's, I mean, it's lit. We can kind of see what's happening. But anyway, Rings of Power, I thought, really hit it out of the park just with respect to lighting, notwithstanding the battle scenes that were also really fun. Lots of heads being lopped off and and people uh, doing, yeah, it, it was a very realistic and it hurt. Like it just hurt the, uh, like when they, when you got the crunch of the sword, you could oh. feel it all the way through. Yeah. And yeah. Rose and thorn for you. Oh, I've been thinking about that rose. I did like that quote. Uh, you can't question thirst mm-hmm. by drinking seawater. Probably, I, I guess my, maybe my real highlight was her uh, Galadriel's exchange with Isildur. Just through that, I, I, the, the chase sequence though, where she catches, uh, I was about to catch Adar, but then of course Hallbrand comes in and does little tripperoni and does all that stuff. Uh, it took a, it took Galadriel a second to appear in that scene, which kind of spoiled it for me. But yeah, so many good things. So I, I'll, I'll think I'll stick with the uh, just that line. You can't. To quench your thirst by drinking seawater just because it's got so it's so prophetic for so many other things and thorn no disappointments in the show um this week it was just so much stuff obviously the lowest point to me was uh Waldrig making the turn that you know, did it like do you not care about people at all Waldrig? are you so corrupt with power maybe he is Maybe he's just the lowest of the low. He seemed okay way back in episode two and three, but uh, obviously he's he's not a nice human. And uh, for him to go through and do that, maybe he didn't know what was going to happen, but he was certainly trying to please Adar. Maybe he got slaughtered in that. We'll see. That was the lowest point because that was man actually creating his own downfall. Yeah, bringing about the ruin. So short-sighted, Waldrag. <sighs> yeah, very disappointing, Waldrag. Yeah, for me, I think, well, Rose is going to be 
Isildur and Beric's relationship <laughs> because it's adorable and I love getting some horse lore. Good horse and lore. like Aragorn comes by his horsemanship honestly. It's a family trait. I really just love that. Anytime you throw like a good animal human relationship into the mix, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a sucker for that. Mm. Uh Thorn for me was Theo being a pouty little prick. Because he had to go and stay in the tavern with the children and the wounded. And just, but I can fight, bother. Which he shows, by the way, later on that he can. Yeah. Because he, he was part of that. But yeah, but I get it. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised to see that because that little routine is done a lot in fantasy. Yeah. It is. And but then, you're going to protect them, Theo. Oh. <gasps> and then, of course, when Theo sells out... Human, well, I mean, he's saving his mom. He's saving his mom, but again, big picture. But right? he he didn't know he was selling it out. I don't know that uh, that Arondir knew the gravity of what was in there, and, and he knew that Theo knew. Now, he didn't stop it either. So a lot of foibles in the characters in there, but nobody other than Adar, as far as I can tell, knew what all was going to happen. Yeah, so. the vast, the vast implications. Uh, where are we going? What what does episode seven bring us? What well, does episode eight bring us? How do we end this season? Good questions, and I don't have full answers for you. I, we obviously have to get back to the dwarves and the elves, uh, the the mining for mithril, and do they have to save the Valnor? And what's the king going to say when um, Durin the fourth gets back to talk to Durin the third with Elrond? And I'm uh, hopefully Disa likes the table. By the way, I hope that I hope that's really they better. Good. Focus on that. And and where's the Starman going? So I think we're going to obviously find out more about that and the Starman's power. Is it truly a wizard? And does he find a does he actually find a, a staff that he can actually harness his power with and and not hurt himself every time he does something? I think it'll be a big Starman slash dwarf episode, but we'll still get a lot of the Galadriel and what hap- what's happening at Mount Doom and obviously a lot of the fallout. What's happened with the new new Minorians, etc. I think in in the season finale, the Numenorians will return to Numenor. I think Farazhan will lead will lay his plot for overturning the queens because he eventually becomes king. I think um, we'll start to see the rise. I think we will see Sauron because now he's got a place to go. It's not going to be before Dor anymore. We'll actually see it as Mordor. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with with the dwarves and elves. I, they will mine, they will go deep, there's going to be rumblings, there's going to be things collapsing and all that sort of stuff. But the dwarves are great with rock, so they'll be able to manage all that stuff. It's way too early for them to unearth a Balrog, so it, they won't get that that far. That's like a, a season five thing, I think. Hopefully it doesn't happen too early, because Kazadum is too beautiful. You don't want yeah. to, to, and I think we're going to see lots more of Kazadum next episode. So I, I, I can't predict where that one's going, um, but I think there'll be a falling out with the elves and dwarves. Uh, it'll start and even Durin and Elrond may have a bit of a a splinter I hope that in episode 8 Elrond and Galadriel reconnect because they have not been in the same scene since uh, episode 1 that's right so it'd be nice to have them reconnect um, in the thing and, and set the path for the uh, for the elves to fight Sauron who will who will meet so that's where I think it's going but I there's going to be so many twists and turns. I still don't know where the Starman's going. I, if I follow Peregrine's advice, it's going to be a wizard who's going to help and work with the hobbits. If it's my art, I still think that maybe he'll be the preconception of, of Sauron and befriend everybody and over a couple of seasons before he be- becomes nasty. Don't know. Yeah. I mean, the only add-in I think to 
that is, I think, Durin the third is probably going to die by the end of the season because Ooh. it seems like he is the hold up to why they're not digging deeper. Yes. We know that Durin the fourth wants to dig. He wants to save the elves. Him and Elrond are bros, and we saw a glimpse in the trailer of Durin basically being like, their time is up. Right. Right? So their time is up. Leave leave Middle Earth. It's we're time not, for you to go. go back. We're not dealing with the elves. They're not going to be the saviors. I mean, we know that mithril is continue to be dug we know that things are made with it we we are aware of this don't know if the elves are going to get coated in it but i I, think i don't know is elrond going to turn a little bit on gilgalad i don't know uh, because gilgalad is not dealing straight up either and our favorite celebimbor we haven't seen him for a while he's been quiet how's the how's the tower coming along and 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 what what else are you building what else is going to come along so there could be uh I mean, is he building Orthanc? Is that what he's building? That's where um, Sauron was. It'll be interesting to see where those things go. But we won't have all those things answered for sure. No. And will Nori and the Harfoots and the, the Stranger connect with the Numenorians by the end of the season, do you think? Will those plot lines finally converge? Uh, either the townsfolk, although the Harfoots like to avoid humans, right? But um, somehow... Whether it's the Starman or whether the Starman and the Elves get together, if it's a wizard, then that would make some sense. Or if it's the Numenorians, probably Elves. It'll probably be that somehow the Harfoots will connect with the Elves. That okay. that's what'll I, th- I think what'll happen. Now, one big thing we didn't talk about, but I think is basically going to be a season two plot point that I can get behind, is Isildur and Valendil are yes. going orc hunting. They're going to hunt orc. And Antamo is going to stay back and help the villagers. His fighting days are over. He's done. He was in battle once and he said, you know what, I'm good. That's it. I'm done. Yes, that'll be a that'll be a go forward feature. They'll probably set out, but yeah, they can't get to. That's probably how season eight ends for them as the quest for orc hunting goes off. Yeah. They ride into the into the sunset with Isil, with Elendil's uh, blessing, and Elendil will head back to Numenor with the queen, and there'll be pro- troubles with Pharaohs on there. Yeah, but I mean, Isildur, Valendil, Galadriel—they're all going to be mm-hmm. part of the orc hunting squad. So we'll get to see where that goes. So I think we'll get a lot more quality Isildur and Galadriel moments, and we'll understand why he, you know, rose up to become so prominent. And ultimately not be able to cast the ring into the fire. Because uh, he's human. But that's okay. Frodo couldn't do it either. We all love Frodo. Thank, thanks, thank God for Gollum. Uh, that's actually an interesting thing. Will we meet the Gollum's people? Uh, the uh, uh, the fisher folk that they are? They come right? after Harfoots, I think. Right? It'll be season three It'll or four few, yeah. down the road that we'll meet them, I think. TBD. There we are. A fun week, Generations. Though. Big Very episode. Week. Big episode. But I think the next two are going to be outstanding. And I'm hoping, I, you know, I think generally the, the feel of the of the public on the series is that it's outstanding. And, and the ratings on each episode are starting to get up. So the, the trolls may still be trying to, to do it. But I noticed it's like an 8.9 or something on IMDb for episode six. So the trolls are losing. And, and I, 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 it's just getting better. And I think... The best is yet to come. I think seven and eight are going to be outstanding. I hope, and I hope episode eight ends with some level of hope. When we talk about yes. Wheel of Time, I'll give you my touch on that. My thing it's on, on thing. the last episode, but uh, we'll have to rewatch it first because we it's will. so much fun. Well, and speaking of Wheel of Time, so this episode will drop on Thursday, October 6th. 
On Friday, October 7th, like I said, the Wheel of Time is doing a New York Comic-Con panel. We will be dropping a fun episode on that. I'm going to try to get out, get it out either Saturday or Sunday this week, just so that we can do immediate reaction to, yay, Wheel of Time Season 2 news, get a little bit hyped for that. Um, and then we only have, yeah, two more Rings of Power episodes before we're, we're going to start shifting back to Wheel of Time. Yes. So it's a good time to get that hype train going, get into the season two news and reactions, and yeah, start angling this back towards me actually knowing shit <laughs> instead of... And me fumbling, fumbling around. <laughs> Although the way these guys are rewriting uh, uh, the, the Second Age or creating the Second Age, Tolkien didn't spend enough time in the Second Age, as they're, re, as they're recreating the Second Age or creating the Second Age, uh, it's, it's fun for everybody. And, uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't talked to a Tolkien dude or dudette yet who has not enjoyed it immensely. Everybody I circled with are just loving the show. It's fun. We it's love fun. it. We do. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, you can find Feather and Mountain Podcast on all major podcasting platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Discord, not Facebook, never Facebook. But <laughs> links are in the description. Every now and again, I drop something on Facebook, but that's <laughs> oh, okay. Geez. Not us. We're too millennial for that. Yeah. Email the Feather and Mountain Podcast at gmail.com if you have any complaints about the show that aren't rooted in constructive criticism but are instead founded on your belief that you know more than the writers in the room you can email that to waldregs knob at <laughs> counterclockwise.com thanks again for listening we'll see you soon bye badeep 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 that's all folks <laughs>